want to give a big thank you to Brother Tanner Howell. He always does a wonderful job as he uh, reads our scripture and once again was no exception. It's such a great opportunity to come together and to study God's Word. Maybe it's a blessing that sometimes we overlook it. We might even consider it a duty or something that, that we do because we have to. But let's rather look at the, the greatness, the enjoyment, the opportunity that we have as Christians to come together and to worship our Lord. As was mentioned earlier, Brother Mike Hickson is, is out. He's in the hospital. We want to definitely continue to keep him on our prayers. We want to thank Brother Copeland this morning for doing a wonderful job. Uh, speaking this morning on the, the boy that lost home or left home who ran away. Tonight, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to take the time that we have tonight to look at the seven ones. Just, re just read a couple minutes ago, uh, we have one body, one spirit. Even as you were called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Today, as we take time out to look at the ones found in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll notice that there's a lot of error that is taught today that just doesn't fit. There's a lot of things that are taught today that can't follow with the idea of one body because after all, everybody should be able to believe whatever they want to believe. However, we find that to be in opposition of Scripture. We see that there's one Lord. Once again, how come we all have to agree on the same Lord? Why can't, why can't we all believe just our own thing? However, the Bible teaches that there's one Lord. The Bible teaches that there's one faith. And we know that definitely goes against what man wants to believe and that we ought to believe, just as we said earlier, any old thing. Whatever I want to believe ought to be able to be something that I am able to believe. First off, as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we'll notice first point, the one body. There is only one body. God only planned for one body and that plan for one body started out from the beginning of time. There was never a gap where God said, oh, well, maybe, maybe we'll have to make repairs. God had a foreordained plan in that there would be one body that would make up God's people. God intended from the beginning that there be one body. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, notice in verse 5 it says, so we being many members, even though there's many members, there's many people that make up the body, it says we're still one body. Again, the same fact is reiterated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about the, the members, each member having, having different abilities or different things that they can do, it says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of the one body being many, notice it said, our one body so also is Christ. Christ's plan from the beginning was that one perfect body that one body that is comprised of the individuals that are putting Christ first. That one body we're speaking of is the church. That one body is, is written about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, where it actually mentions the church and the body as one and the same. It says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Notice the beginning of the next verse. Which is 
his body. The body of Christ, the church, all make up that one individual body that Christ established from the beginning. Now that's not to say that there's only one group of people. There's only, I mean, that's not to say that there's only one place that that group of people meets. Because obviously, as you look uh, throughout the books of the Bible, you've got the, the, the Ephesian church. You've got the, the Bible that are written to those at Corinth. If you look in Revelation, you can see the, the, the letters written to the seven churches of Asia. However, when he talks about the one body, the one church, those seven churches, those that are written to in Corinth, those that are written to in Ephesus, those that are written to in the area of Galatia, uh, all the different areas that, that are written to are still part of that one body because they're in agreement, because they're united in what they teach. They're united in what they believe. They're united in Christ. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, we see there that Peter, uh, Peter is talking and Christ is talking with Peter and Peter says, says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Right after that, we see in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where, where Jesus talking about upon that profession, upon that confession, upon that statement that was just made, he said, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon the rock that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That one church, that one body that is comprised in Ephesians chapter 4 is the eternally planned church that God had set in store from the beginning of time. As I went through, through this lesson, looking at each of the different ones, there was so much stuff that, that you could look into. There are so many directions you can go. I realized that it probably should have been one sermon for each one. However, today we're going to kind of rush through each of them and we're going to notice all of the ones that are mentioned here in bringing up the unity that God had designed. The next thing mentioned is the one spirit. The spirit mentioned is that spirit that is the third member of the Godhead. The spirit is the same one that's mentioned in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 when he tells them that go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, is the, the spirit to which it's referring. There's one spirit. If you notice in the context, it's going to mention one spirit, it's going to mention one Lord, and it's going to mention one Father. All three parts of the Godhead are represented within the ones. And following within biblical teaching, they're going to be united in all. They're going to be united in with what makes up the whole. Though the third member of the God, through the third member of the Godhead, we have that of the inspired word. We have God's word, which we can look to today. We have the inspired men who wrote down that inspired message. So today we can look into God's word and we can see exactly what was set aside for us. What God had in store, the message, the way that we could live and find ourselves pleasing to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, talking about the Word of God, talking about the Bible that we have today, talking about the inspired Word that we can look at, which was inspired by that of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is in complete harmony with that of God's teachings. 
There's recently this past week I saw a video on the on Facebook of a person that that claims to be moved by the spirit to do one thing or another. I was moved by the spirit and I felt as though that this was right. However, in first in Galatians chapter chapter 1 we see that that's that's not how it works at all. In Galatians chapter 1 there is no such thing as well I was moved by the Spirit, and so now I believe this instead of what God's Word teaches. If you look at Galatians chapter 1, it's just back a few pages from that of our context in Ephesians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from, so soon removed from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there be some that pervert the gospel. They're removed because somebody claims to have something better. Because somebody claims and says, oh, well, I was inspired by God. God came to me. I had a vision. I know something different. Notice in verse 8 and following, it says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. There will be nothing new. There will be no new gospel. There will be nothing new to change your life. We have everything we need. There is no purpose in one telling us how the Spirit moved them, how, how they were changed to do something different, because if they preach anything different than what's God's words, if they preach anything different than that we find in the Bible, it's not the Spirit at all. We see here that it's, it's mentioned of the one spirit. The one spirit is going to follow with being exactly in line with God's word. If we're going to be moved, be moved by the study of God's word. Be moved to follow God's guidelines, God's outline, the New Testament. Notice all this, also it says the one hope of your calling Boy, that's something great that we can hold on to. As a Christian, we can hold on to that great hope. I don't know if there's something, if there's anything that we could think of that would be better than knowing that we have hope after this life is over. We can think of all the great things on earth and how great it is. We can think of all the bad times on earth and how bad they are. But yet we've got hope because afterwards, there's something better. After this life is over, we still have something greater that we can look forward to, the hope of your calling. The hope of your calling comes from that of, I wrote it as the promise from perfection. We've got the perfect father. We have, we have the God in heaven who it said, who cannot lie, promised unto us. In Titus chapter one and verse two, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. We've got a promise that's above any other promise. I could make you a promise, but it wouldn't have the same validation. It wouldn't have the same credit that this promise has. Because God made this promise. I'm talking about an infallible God. I'm talking about a God that can't mess up. We have the promise from perfection, from the perfect God who cannot lie, that he promised in hope of eternal life. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to his promise, the hope of eternal life. According to the hope of eternal life in Titus chapter 3 and verse 7. 
There's a hope of eternal life. The true hope that we have is all founded around the fact of eternal life. There's something greater. There's something I can strive to reach. There's something I can reach for. I can work for. There's a place that I'm heading to, that place of home. Now, in fact, there's something that, on the contrary, is expressed for those that are without Christ, that don't have Christ in their life, that don't have that purpose, that goal. You can look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. And the the people in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, it says that at that time you were without Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of his promise. And then notice what it says at the very end, having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope, having nothing to look forward to, having no reason to go on because they didn't have God. It all revolves around that hope of your calling because your hope is in Christ. Your hope is in God. Your hope is in eternal salvation. Eternal salvation is that hope of your calling. It's what we have that we can hold on to, that we can look forward to, which we can strive to attain. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, which fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We have something to look forward to. We have the hope of a calling in that we have an eternal salvation waiting us if we're striving on, if we're pushing forward, if we're going on to the home. Notice the next one in verse 5. One Lord. There is one Lord. The Lord we are referring to here is the Christ. Christ is to be the Lord of your life. You know, this is the same one that they spoke of in Acts chapter 2. As they were there on Pentecost Day. And they were preaching and they, they say, hey, you just, you just killed Jesus. You hung him to a tree. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The same Jesus that they saw right then, it says, God hath made him both Lord and Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lord, we're speaking of here. The one Lord, the one Christ, the Messiah, the one through whom they could have hope. If you go down in the context, you realize that even though they crucified him, through him they have hope. The hope of, the call, uh, the hope of your calling is, is completely based off of the fact that Christ came and he was willing to die. As the perfect sacrifice, we have a hope of our calling in the Lord. God the Father has given the authority to Christ when he came to earth. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus says, all authority is given me in heaven and earth. That, that authority is passed to Christ as the Lord of your life. Christ, the one, the Savior, the one who came down and lived so that mankind could live. Sure, there were people alive, but mankind couldn't live. Now we have that of eternal life. Christ is the Savior to those that adhere to his word. 
We look to the Lord. That one Lord, that's the only hope we have. We better look to the one Lord and we better put our, our hope and our trust in Him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. The ones that are obedient to the Lord are the ones that are going to be saved in the end. John, Jesus in John chapter 12 and verse 48 said, He that rejecteth me and he that he rejects me and does not receive my words has one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Mankind is going to be judged by the Lord. The Lord's words, while Christ was here, he gave us the guidelines. He gave us the open book tests. All we have to do is study. All we have to do is hold true to it. All we have to do is be obedient. Notice also it says there's one faith. <laughs> I've heard it said before, well, you have your faith and I have my faith. Well, that ain't the case. There's only one faith. It's true that, that you, based off, of, based off of your study, will have to stand before God. However, that faith, that faith that you have better come from the study of God's Word. Otherwise, it's not faith at all. If that faith, that one faith that is taught isn't based off of Scripture, if it isn't, isn't based off of God, then it's really not faith. In Jude chapter 3, it says, ex at the end of the verse, it says, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. They were encouraged to fight for what was right, to fight for the faith, to live for Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, also near the end of the verse, it says that you stand fast in, the spirit, in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That faith is linked directly back to the holy written word. The holy inspired word that by that of the Holy Spirit that is so easily attainable today. It's so easy to go out and to find, to find a copy of God's word that a man can sit down and study from without have to, having to fear being led astray because they can read it for themselves. We have that faith that should come from that of the gospel. We have the faith that was taught by, by Paul who at one time was out to destroy it. Paul at one time was out to destroy everything that Christianity stood for, but there was a change. There was a change in his life. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 23, it says, But they were hearing only, he who firmer, formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. That same gospel, the same message that Paul had once tried to destroy, now he's preaching it, now he's spreading it. You see how the one faith works? Because that one faith took over Paul. And now Paul showed it through his life. It was evidenced by his actions that followed. He followed after that one faith that God had set up through his plan. When you look at that one faith, that one faith does not include additions. It does not include subtractions. It doesn't include our traditions either. The one faith only includes the word as Christ spoke it. It only includes the inspired word as written by the inspired apostles. 
In Mark chapter 7, verse 7, it says, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, meaning not God's word. In vain do they worship me because they do something different than what I set up. We want to make sure that we do everything according to God's plans, not out of tradition and not in addition to what God set up. We want to do it just as precisely as it was written. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. Speak where the Bible speaks, and outside of that, just keep your mouth shut. Outside of what God's Word said, don't try and build your faith. If we're building our faith, that one faith can only come from the building blocks of God's Word. Notice the one baptism. One baptism. Now, what baptism could this possibly be referring to? If you look throughout Scripture, uh, there's a couple different things that are mentioned, but it only follows within context that it be one baptism. You can notice John's baptism, Mark chapter 1, verse 4. It wouldn't, this, this baptism wouldn't fit because it's in view of Christ. It's in view of Christ's coming, a baptism of repentance, knowing that the Christ is to come. It wouldn't be that because surely right now... Christ has been dead. Christ is the one who they've been preaching about, who they've been talking about in the book of Ephesians. It wouldn't be the baptism of fire found in Matthew chapter, th Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, because that, that baptism of fire is nothing more than death. It's death. <laughs> the baptism of the Holy Spirit, another baptism spoken of in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. Speaking to the apostles there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, they could have the baptism of the Spirit, and we see it take place, and they all start to speak in tongues. We see that, that it takes place in Acts chapter 2 as there came the, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. We see the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place in Acts chapter 2, but that's not the baptism that we're talking about. We see the baptism of Israel in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, where they're covered by the cloud, buried in the cloud. But yet, following the, the death of Christ, following his crucifixion and his resurrection, in Mark chapter 16, for instance, look in verse 15, it says, Go ye therefore into all the world and pre preach the gospel to every creature. Then he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There's the baptism we're talking about. The baptism of believers. The baptism of those that knowing Christ was the Messiah knowing he was the one who came and died, the baptism that is the one that leads to remission of sins. The baptism of believers would be the only one that would have been in practice at the time of the writing in Ephesians. When they, when they read one baptism, it would have been easily understood that this is a baptism because I am a believer, because I want to put my life in Christ. The one baptism is the baptism that Christ instituted. We can see it on multiple occasions. We, we talk about Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, uh, Luke 24, verse 36 and verse 37. Over and over we see that, that baptism taught. Go forward to Acts chapter 2 after the, after the apostles had received that of the Holy Spirit. What baptism do they teach? They go out and they, they say, repent and be baptized. 
for the remission of your sins. You see, it's a baptism for the penitent believer, for the one that puts their life in Christ. The baptism of a believer's is the only one in practice, and it's the only one that we should practice. The baptism that Christ instituted is the one that we still today, and to the end of the world, man ought to observe. It's the one that we ought to look to. It's the one that we have to be obedient to if we want to be in that oneness that God established. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 21, speaking of baptism, it talks about that of of how they were saved on the ark through the water, Noah and his family. But then it says in verse 21, it says, not the removal of the filth of the flesh. It's not just a immersion into water because I'm dirty. There's a lot of times I'm sure my wife can vouch for me that I get dirty and I have to go and I have to be cleaned. It's not talking about going into going into a body of water and going under it to try and scrub off the dirt. It says at the end of verse 21, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, which is your reasonable service. We have the answer of a good conscience. There's a difference in this baptism. If we looked at the, the word baptism in the original, we would understand that simply it says burial over and over, but it's a different burial. It's different than that of just saying, well, get out there and go dunk in the water because there was a purpose. The one baptism that is spoken of is the immersion of the believer for the purpose of accessing the blood of Christ so that they could receive remission of sins. We see that, that taught throughout scriptures over and over. The one that wants to be in Christ. For instance, Romans chapter 6, where it says, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised... So we also. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism. We understand that baptism is a burial. We understand that it was putting them into Christ. And why is that? Because they wanted to reach the blood of Christ. In, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, it says, without, For without blood there is no remission. If one wants to receive remission, if they want to have the ability to wash that sin away, there has to be blood. And that's where Christ comes in. The blood of Christ is the only reason we have hope in remission of sins. So in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 where it says, Therefore we are buried, buried, that's how we get into Christ. The burial into Christ. Over and over we see it reiterated. We've mentioned it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. There are so many examples throughout Acts that, that show penitent believers making a change and saying... That's what I'm going to do because I want to put God first. See in Acts chapter 22 verse 16 where there's an urgency in the message. You can look back at Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 and notice what takes place when the penitent believer did what they were commanded. It says, and the Lord added to the church daily. So not only did remissions of sins take place, but God puts you in the one body that we spoke of at the beginning. God puts you in that one church which he had planned, which he had envisioned, which he had purposed before the world began. The last point one we'll look at is the God and Father of all.
the God of heaven. Sometimes we, we might look to, look to the Lord, look to Christ and spend all our times teaching about him. Sometimes we might look to the Holy Spirit and focus just on that of what the Holy Spirit does. Sometimes we might just look to God and say, oh, well, the God in heaven is the only one that matters. However, we have the, we have the Godhead made up here. The last one we're going to speak about is that of God the Father. God the Father is spoken of throughout, throughout scriptures. You can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, or uh, for instance, look at, if you look at Acts chapter 17, verse 23, one I didn't mention, but yet in Acts chapter 17, verse 23, here it's the God who they worshipped ignorantly. He says the God of heaven. They had, they had the inscription, to the unknown God. That's the God we're talking about. The one that they didn't realize. We're talking about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. We're talking about the God that can bring you through the trials. The God that can take you home to that calling. We're talking about an omniscient God. We're talking about an omnipotent God. We're talking about the omnipresent God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. You can look at Acts chapter 15, verse 18. You can see his great power evidenced in Genesis chapter 1 and just the creation account. As he speaks, things happen. As we look at God the Father, as we look at God the Son, as we look at God the Spirit, here in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4, it's talking about the ones. There's a oneness within God. There should be a oneness within the body because we as many members make up the one body. There should be a oneness within people looking to God, looking to the hope of your calling. That's what we're striving for. Tonight, we want to make sure that we're part of a united group. God's plan from, from the beginning was that his people would be united people working together. Sometimes it's hard to overlook somebody else's faults because they aren't just like me. Sometimes it's hard to overlook how different somebody else is than me. However, within the body of Christ, there ought to be a oneness that's inseparable. There ought to be a oneness of mankind, of people working together for the good of the whole. And that's what we're here for. As the body of Christ, we want to be a group that is tightly knit and that is working so hard together to reach the hope, to reach eternal life. And we want to help you do that. If there's one that's here that isn't a member of the Lord's church, if you haven't given your life to Christ, oh, it's very simple. We just want you to make that change. We want you to be willing to put your faith, your trust, your hope in the Lord. We want you to be willing to repent of things that are wrong in your life we want you to be willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Lord of your life. That was the foundation block, the building block for the church in Matthew chapter 16. And then we want to follow after the commands that Jesus gave when he came back. He said, go out and teach. And here's what I want you to tell them. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We want to change the world and there's only one way to do it. One person at a time using God's word. If you haven't given your life to Christ,
Today is the day to make a change. Behold, today is the accepted time. Don't wait too late. If we can help you in your spiritual life, please come as we stand and sing.